This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. Great show today. Josh Allen joins. Seth Walter joins. Josh Allen, amazing interview, amazing energy. Back on track after winning against Tampa. Has Cincinnati this weekend. We covered it all and much more. I will not do a monologue because of it. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Josh Allen. All right, man who needs no introduction, Josh Allen. He's here with Visa. What's going on, brother? Just hanging out. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Um, we'll start here. Tell us what you're doing with Visa and the sweepstakes. Yeah, uh, partnered with Cash App and Visa. You know, it's a sweepstakes to get a chance to win an all-inclusive trip for two people to the, the Super Bowl in Vegas. All you got to do is use your Cash App Visa card every time you use it. You get automatically entered to win uh, this all-inclusive trip. So I think it's a pretty cool, pretty cool deal to partner with. And hopefully the uh, Buffalo Bills will be playing in that Super Bowl. That's a uh, long ways away, but um, it's good to dream. All right, so you guys took a step towards that on Thursday night by beating the Bucks, getting back on track. I want to ask about one play in that game where you pump faked beyond the line of scrimmage, which I'm a huge fan of. I've seen other quarterbacks, both in your generation and older, do it. It really got the Tampa Bay defense off their game a little bit. What is the art of the pump fake beyond the line of scrimmage? I think going back and, and I think Brett Favre did that yeah. quite a you know, I was a big Brett Favre fan growing up, and I think Aaron has utilized that. Um, obviously, you see Pat Mahomes do it too, and it's just one of those things. Those defenders, man, they, they're not quite sure where the line of scrimmage is. They're turning their backs. <laughs> they're covering uh, wide receivers and running backs and tight ends, and they turn their eyes back. They're not sure if I'm past the line of scrimmage, at the line of scrimmage. So it's good to utilize it a little bit. Uh, it's not going to get them all the time, but if they can just pause or, or change their feet for – a split second, sometimes that's all it takes. Your middle of the field improvisation, um, when you're running the ball or even behind the line of scrimmage, um, it's really something special. And obviously a lot of that is you're an athlete, you can take hits, you've played a lot of football. But is this are those moves you work on? Are they moves you you figure out um as you go? Like, I mean, you know, whether that's the the leaps or or whatever, like do you practice that stuff or does it come to you literally when there's a linebacker two yards away from you and, and you have to figure out what to do? I wish I could sit here and say it's stuff I practice. And <laughs> it, it is all split second in the heat of the moment type of actions. And um, I, I do think it comes from the background of me as a kid playing multiple sports and yep. you know, football, baseball, basketball. I, I swam, I did karate, a little bit of gymnastics, played a little bit of soccer, like you, you name it. I probably did it. So I think that's kind of where it comes from. And, Again, utilizing uh, what I do in the weight room and, and the agility drills and stuff that our strength staff has us do, I think that all plays part in it. But it's uh, it's all just kind of go out there and be an athlete at sometimes. Yeah, I was going to ask that because it almost looks a little bit hoopsish uh, when you're out there and doing some of those moves. If there was a second sport, as far as the multi-sport goes, if there was a second sport that had the most influence on you, is it hoops? Is it swimming? Is it something else? You know, I, I would probably say basketball. Um you know, I, I played in a small school, so I, I kind of ran the one and I kind of ran the five. It was kind of me and my brother, and um, we were the tallest guys on the team, but it's something that we loved growing up. And, you know, we were very competitive at our own house in the basketball hoop in, in our front yard. So I think there's a lot of competitive competitiveness, competitiveness to it, a lot of change of direction and agility. Uh, but I do think a sneaky sport is swimming. I think that when you're in the pool by yourself, not wanting to go, you got tears filling up your goggles. Um, and you like, my, my dad was the president of the swim team. So every time I'd look up, 
be standing right there with his arms crossed. It's like, I, I can't get out of the pool. I got to finish my set here. So um, I think that that developed a lot of mental toughness. Quick one. Uh, if you were to compare your basketball game to anybody's, who would it be? I mean, one through five, that sounds like Giannis to me, but I don't know. I don't know what I was, I don't know what I was seeing. Well, there. I think if I was, uh, I don't think I'm, I'm not saying this in, in a cocky way, but I think Clay Thompson, I think a uh, three and D type guy. Again, I, I I'll, I'm going to bust my balls and uh, trying to be a defender and, you know, I'll make some threes when it comes to it and try to be a facilitator at times too. So I think uh, Clay would be a good one. I'm a big fan of his game as well. I love that. Um, great guy. Great, great role model for the kids. Awesome teammate, all that stuff. Um, you're going to play Cincinnati next. Um, obviously two of the best, not just young quarterbacks, but two of the best quarterbacks in general um, of their era of whatever you want to call it facing off against each other. And I'm curious, obviously within that generation, we know who the greats are. Um, you're one of them. Joe is one of them. Is there a relationship between all of you guys? They're a, a damn text chain, WhatsApp, whatever you want to call it, Joe, Pat, you. Um, and what is that that respect like between you guys since you guys kind of uh, have established yourselves as uh, as sort of leaders of that group? Yeah, I wouldn't say there's a, a text chain with, with all <laughs> the guys. I do think that, um, you know, every every person kind of has different relationships. And, you know, I, I play golf with Pat um at the the Tahoe tournament every year and I, I feel like we've got a pretty good relationship and same thing with Joe I think that uh it's different than mine and Pat's but quarterback coach from Jordan Palmer coming out and we spent a lot of time drawing together so we definitely have a, a lot of respect I think that's the key word respect um and I do enjoy being around those guys they're guys guys and I think that's again what kind of puts us in the position to be the the type of players we are is because one, we love football and two, we love everything around football. That's the team camaraderie. That's being a guy's guy and trying to rally a, a group of, you know, 50, 52 other men to try to accomplish one goal. And that's to win a, a world championship. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesar Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code OmahaFull and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, you keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and up only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only must wager with eligible promo code bet amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas? Affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino? Call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana? Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050. 
or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-427-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Your game against Tampa Bay, it was one of the quickest releases, not just that you've had as far as uh, time to throw, but anybody's had, and I think something like three years. You were getting the ball out. Um, you were making quick decisions. Your guys were uh, all over the field and you guys got back on track. Uh, I'm curious, everybody was talking about tempo going into this game and that's not just quick release, but it's the entire offense. Um, I'm curious what felt right about the game against the Bucks, and and what were you doing that you thought worked? Well, what I'm going to say sounds contradictory, but when sometimes when you speed up the game in, in terms of your tempo, it slows it down. Yeah. And you're able to see certain things. You're putting the defense in a bind. If they're not used to going um, up-tempo defense, it, it may limit some of their calls and put them in some more basic calls that – you feel like you're prepared for. And again, when they do dial something up exotic, you've got 15 seconds on the play clock to, to decipher it and get into something that you like or you love. And I feel like that's what we did a good job of that last night of just, you know, seeing what they're trying to do, um, having an answer for that. And our guys were not there and executed. Speaking of your generation of quarterbacks, last couple of years, defenses have adjusted a lot and they've put everyone, everyone and has talked about two deep safeties over the past three years. And it was such a reductive little narrative like, oh, Mahomes has been solved by cover two. Burrow has been solved by cover two. Obviously, there's a lot of nuances within that, but everybody is starting to throw shorter across the league. I'm curious how you think defenses have started to play you and what changes you've made to your game uh, over the past 12 months, let's say. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... The, the trend in the league right now, as far as defense goes, um, it's more of a quarters type thought process now. It's right. more of a palms where the safeties are eyeing number two, if it's a two by two formation. And once the, once those number twos go towards the sidelines, they turn their eyes to number one. And it's, it, it plays a little bit like Tampa too, um, but we call it 44 palms. Um, and again, it's just kind of forcing teams to take this underneath stuff in hopes that, quarterbacks get greedy and try to force something down the field that's not there, um, which I've been a victim of, you know, myself. I'm, I'm, you know, i got to control that and um, limit those turnovers. But, you know, I think that's uh, what a lot of teams are doing right now. So you got to be able to run the ball in, in two eye shells and you got to be able to stay patient and keep taking what they're giving you. Is it a process for you? I know that taking the easy throw, being patient, sounds like the easiest thing in the world, but you mentioned there are struggles with it. What's the process where you just say, okay, I'm just going to take this easy throw. I'm not going to try to hit the, the grand sum every time. Yeah, I think situation of the game kind of dictates that and, you know, the flow of how everything's going. Um, but again, staying within the system. And the, the hard part is, like again, if you're dinking it down, you're dunking it down those D linemen are getting their hands up. If they get one swat instead of it first and 10 and second and 10, or, you know, second and six, it's now second and 10 and you're behind the six and you feel like you got to go catch up. So um, again, just making sure that you're on time on target in these zone coverages and you run it well enough and you start doing that well enough. They've got to come up. They've got to press. They've got to play some man in order to stop it. So 
Um, again, you can force their hand, but it just takes time. What's the move on Halloween? Like, what is your, what do, are you a huge costume guy? Are you, do you just like to hang out and maybe just put some vampire teeth in? What's, what's the move on a, at a Halloween party for Josh Allen? As a kid, I always, always despised and hated Halloween. I hated no. dressing. I hated being anybody, anybody other than myself. I didn't like the costumes. I didn't like the makeup. I, you know, I just, I didn't want to be a part of it. I enjoyed trick or treat with my friends and the candy that came with it. But as a kid, you know, my parents would buy me a costume. I'm like, I'm not wearing that. I'm not going to do it. Just let me be a football player. Let me be a, a zombie or something, but I'm not <laughs> crazy. So it was kind of always the same thing. I dressed up as a kid, but, um, you know, our, our team here does a pretty good Halloween party. And I think that helps team camaraderie too. So everybody gets in the season and dresses up. So this year we got, we got something good. I don't know if I can spoil it yet, but it's, it's a, uh, Famous football character, that's all I'll say. Oh, the anticipation builds. So you would just go to these houses, have your trick-or-treat ba- tr- trick treat bag open, and you would just be Josh Allen wearing your Pop Warner jersey, basically. Yeah, more likely. Or I'd dress up. I'd, I was a 49er thing growing up, so it was either like a Jeff Garcia jersey or a Terrell Owens jersey or something like that. So uh, it was something along those lines. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I was uh, – I don't know if I, – I think we're – I'm a little older than you, but uh, if you remember Horace Grant, the magic player um, and the Bulls player, he had the goggles and I got those goggles because growing up in Orlando. So I would just at like 6 p.m. on Halloween every single year, just be like, oh, I'll just throw on the goggles. And I was just Horace Grant. And people in Orlando knew what that was. And it was great. You just and you'd get the candy. The process works, Josh. It's fine. Yeah. It's all about the cheese. You know, it's it's about the candy. It's about the W's. The candy's the W's, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just collecting assets. Um, all right. So your audibles made waves on Thursday night and everybody thought you were saying Taylor Swift. You were actually saying J.R. Smith. Is that correct? Well, saying J.R. Smith. Yes. Okay. What is the process of naming the audibles? Is it just folks you admire? Is it just like, okay, this play is doing something where we have to name it after this famous person? Like what is that process like? M- most of it has to do with our concepts. Um, like if we've got, you know, in terms of it's called a cavalier concept. It's a low, like a high, low, whatever. And don't want to give away all the secrets, but every, every game has to do with the concept. And uh, it's like in our three level concepts, it's basketball teams. And we try to find players that have played on that basketball team to make it easy. So um, there's a lot of that going on. Um and that's basically it. Like there, it just some some of it's like transportation series. Sometimes it's this and that. I don't want to can't can't spoil too much. But every, everything I, I wouldn't say everything. There's been some off the wall terms that we've used, and I don't know where they've come from, but it's been put in. It's just like all right, we got to stick with it, roll with it. Um, but everything typically has some sort of keyword or something to help trigger the brain of like all right, this is the play get in there and, and, and go run it. Are you a J.R. Smith fan though? I mean like hoops, golf, like that's a, that's an icon right there. Absolutely. You know, prime J.R. Smith was, was must watch basketball flying through the air, some crazy dunks. He was pulling up from everywhere to him. I'm a big J.R. Smith fan. Yeah, I absolutely. Are you a Warriors fan? I, I grew up a Warriors fan. Yeah. Okay. How, how you feel? How are we feeling about CP3? I mean, if it works, it works. I know it's kind of a, all their lineup that they got to do. And I know they didn't start off the season how they wanted to, but, um, you know, to, to maybe get Seth moving off the ball again and 
catching and shooting along with Clay. I think that's that's a pretty special uh, thing there too. Last thing for you, um, Jim Nance went viral again over the weekend by calling a random person at Pebble Beach's shot. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, but he is, uh, you, you know this because he did it for you. Uh, explain Jim Nance and him calling your shot and him doing the uh, the the narration of the shot with Josh Allen. Uh, it's it's like nothing out there, man. He, Jim is one of the coolest people in the world. He's one of the nicest human beings on the planet. Um, you know, he's... He's a true professional in what he does. And again, he, he loves his family. He loves golf and he loves football and he loves announcing. And I think that's really cool. And again, I'm such a big fan of him because I love golf and I obviously grew up watching the masters and hearing his voice. Um, you know, and it's been so surreal to, to develop like a, a relationship with him. And I think that's really cool. And it's special when he calls games and um, get to talk to him in those, uh, you know, conference meetings before and, um, and when he's sitting there though talking about it, you can hear it in his voice. And he's like, <laughs> back to you over on 16 here. So like, it's just, it's iconic. It's pretty special. And he's just, uh, he's a guy's guy. Josh Allen. He's here with Visa and cash out. Thanks so much for coming on. This is football, man. Thank you, Kevin. I was going to wish you happy Halloween, but I, you know, I'll, I'll leave it since you're not a Halloween guy. Halloween. We don't have to say the happy. Just say. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks so much. Have a good weekend. All right, Seth Walters here. He's an ESPN analytics writer. He's as good at his job as Josh Allen is at his. What's going on, brother? Uh, not too much, but uh, that's not true. I'm I'm nowhere near the MV analytics writer rankings or whatever. The way you know, as close as Josh Allen. That is correct. Generally, that is correct. Um, but you know, it's uh, you agreed to come on as a second guest, so we got to pump you up. Um, no, no, you're you're a great guy. You're you're a good friend of ours. Um, sure. Known you a long time. I don't think we ever created content together. That changes right now. Um, we're going to do the most important numbers of the 2023 season so far. Maybe some looking back, maybe some looking forward. Week nine is a massive week, a massive week in football. And I always feel like we always, we have these weeks once a year where it's like, okay, now we're going to find out who the contenders are. And we don't really find out. Like, I mean, for God's sakes, like the Niners have not won a game since they beat the crap out of the Cowboys. Like every single time we try to learn anything about football, we get beat down and we can't extrapolate anything. Um, but let's go through some of the numbers and just just kind of figure out what we got here after uh, an interesting, to say the least, uh, week eight. What's your first number, Seth Walter? Okay, I want to talk about I love when teams find an advantage and then they don't tiptoe around it. They just go all in on that. And so I want to talk about the Miami Dolphins in motion. And I know that this is a thing that people have talked about and written about, but the numbers are absurd. And that's why I want to bring it up. Okay. <laughs> okay. If you, if you look in 2017, I want to draw this distinction between motion. A man goes in motion, he comes set. And then a man comes in motion and he stays in motion until the, the snap. The second is what we want to talk about. That's where we yeah, found yeah. historically, statistically an advantage. If you look at 2017, the Rams had a man in motion at the snap 9% of the time that led the NFL. We are mere six years later. The Miami yeah. Dolphins have a man in motion on the snap 64% of the time. <laughs> I knew really? that was going to be huge, and I had no idea it was going to be that huge. That's right. And today, seventy-one percent. So, like, they're 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 ticking up even more. And you know, the reasons the reasons for the motion and being advantage, like before the Dolphins, it you know causes confusion, it, it disrupts run fits. Uh, 
I think you saw a great t- example today. Waddles, touchdown. Tyreek Hill comes in motion, and then all of a sudden the ball snaps. Two defenders go with Hill. Nobody goes with Waddle. It's a touchdown. But then the Dolphins have this added thing, right, where they're putting their super fast players, giving them a head start. And so mm-hmm. it's just just been supercharged, and they're just diving all the way in. And the reason why it's so important, too, is because if you look at Miami's offense, on plays when they don't do that, they are not a good offense. They are a negative EPA per play offense on plays where they don't have a man in motion at the snap. But they're just so absurdly good when they do it that they be that they're the best offense in the league. And so they just keep doing it over and over and over again. Has there been, you may not have the answer to this question, but has there been any evidence that defenses can quote unquote catch up to this? Like, is there anything where you're like, okay, week one, it works better than week seven or, you know, whatever. And obviously you're not going to go play by play. And also every defense is different. Every scheme is different, all this stuff. But like, does it, does this sort of thing at some point become diminishing returns or is it, I mean, like this is something Dominic Foxworth and I've talked about a bunch where it's like, we talk about how like, oh, it's covered too. Like, and then, no, it turns out that just good players. Right. And it's like, oh, with motion, um, it's at the end of the day that is important, but so is having Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and the fastest people on planet Earth. And so I'm curious if if defenses are catching up with it, or if there is any such thing uh, with, with this kind of personnel. I think like the answer is yes to both. As we've seen over time, like when I mentioned from 2017 to now, the entire league has started using more motion, right? right. Nowhere near what the Dolphins have used, and we have seen diminishing returns over time. I'm not an X's and O's expert enough to tell you why that is. But we have seen diminishing returns over time until this season, which I think is to your point, when you combine that advantage with these special players, that's where you get this thing. Will it come come to the divisional round or something? Are we going to look back and say, did they overdo it and everybody caught up? Maybe, but I think they would probably be trying to figure out how to stop it no matter what, regardless of how often the Dolphins were using it. Right, and also, like, they just wouldn't be as good if they weren't using it. So we can't always be like, well, they can only do one thing. And it's like, well, they're one of the best teams in football, and they used to not be the one of the best teams in football. So we always look at that and it's like, oh, they're a one-trick pony. Well, they used to be a zero-trick pony. So everything, <laughs> it's it's fine if you're a one-trick pony relative to where they used to be. Um, second number. Okay, I want to talk about Micah Parsons. Oh. His pass rush win rate, which is one of our like flagship metrics, the rate at which he beats his blocker within two and a half seconds is 33.8%. And the reason why I'm giving it to you in that great specificity is because that's the highest rate we've ever seen. And what? It only goes back to 2017. Hang on, I'll go back only back to 2017. But still, and I think that his, what I'm saying is that Micah Parsons, star pass rusher on the Dallas Cowboys, we might not be talking enough about the kind of season he is he's having. And I think it is so critical for Dallas to be good on both sides of the ball. Obviously, I know, I think I saw it around the horn, you wagered your entire career on them winning the Super Bowl. Is that correct? Yeah, I no longer have a career or a job because they lost to the Niners. Yeah, right, right. Well, they could still win this is not. This is not being recorded. Um, the producers here are AI. None of this is happening because <laughs> I had to actually turn in my... My batch. Iger came in a couple of weeks ago and said, we've seen enough, pal, after that particular segment where I said that the Cowboys are the best team in the Super Bowl. Or we're, we're the best team in football and win the Super Bowl. Yeah, it was a tough one. Well, for your sake and, you know, Jerry Jones, Dak Prescott, the entire yeah, yeah. Cowboys discourse, I think it's good that we've got Parsons there. And the, the reason why I think it's so interesting to me is also he has six sacks, right? Six sacks in seven games. It's not, it's not crazy. 
Uh, I feel like he, I would still put him in play for, to break the record this year because of, because of that. Now, at the beginning of the year, and you're helping me, I'm going to argue against my own point. At the beginning of the year, I said Micah Parsons plays so well that he should be the favorite for defensive player of the year every single year for the rest of time. And maybe like an MVP candidate. I didn't, I'm obviously overstating what I actually said, but like that's, that's bait. If you wanted to boil it down, if you were trying to troll me, that's what I said. Okay. I said it in, in on September one, felt great about it. First episode of this new show was great that he should be. I, I think what I said was he should be the defense player of the year. And he should, he should basically be, he should be the favorite for that until further notice. Right. And the until further notice was actually three weeks in where he starts to tail off a little bit. They play the Cardinals. That goes away. And then Miles Garrett and TJ Watt start showing up in a way that usurped him. And so I guess what you're saying is that if you look at and, – and, and so much of this, it's all become – I'll call it like Heisman Trophy style. Like if you lay an egg in a primetime game, it is over. And by the way, that's one of the reasons the primetime game against the Giants is one of the reasons he was even uh, – he got that, that buoy in the first place, right? Um, but if you play poorly in primetime games, lay an egg as a team – in a huge primetime spell with Tariqo and Collinsworth, and Collins was saying, I don't know these guys. This is just flat. It's just flat. And if that happens, you're out of the discourse for a while. So what you're saying is Micah Parsons needs to be put back into it with the TJ Watson and the Miles Garrett because I feel like he's cycled out of it a little bit. I Yes, exactly. I think all three could maybe break the sack record this year and all three defensive player of the year candidates. But exactly. He shouldn't be cycling out. He's, he's Micah Parsons. Hey, who, uh, real quick, who's second in that? Is that Garrett or what? It's Garrett. It's Garrett. Um, Can you guess who number three is? Real quick. It's not Watt. I'll give you one guess. Hassan Reddick? Nope. Boye Mafe. Uh, I I actually should have guessed that. I should have guessed that. That's on me. Promise to do better. Um, (laughs) It's just on me. I'm just going to keep repping it. Um, Value-wise, so like this is the whole PFF thing, right? Where the quarterback is always most valuable player by war. And I, I don't know if this is... Still correct, but I remember talking to the when they developed war a couple of years ago at PFF. They said receivers are the second, normally the second. If you go by, it's a bunch of quarterbacks, then it's a receiver. I think Bobby Wagner was the number one defender there in like 2018, something like that. And he was like kind of way down the list, like way down the list. And, and I guess my question is like in a year of let's call it depressed offensive statistics, statistics where there's like Mahomes lay an egg on Sunday, that kind of thing who we're searching for quarterbacks to give it to, is there a actual analytics argument that one of those three guys, if their team wins a bunch of games, or if it's like the damn Browns and they win 11 games by the grace of their defense and they have nothing to do with the quarterback position, in fact, the quarterback position might be hurting depending on who's back there, is there an actual analytics argument for one of those three guys to be an actual MVP? Like, is there do the numbers bear that out in any way, Seth? I don't see how they possibly could. It's just like the variance on a quarterback is too high. So by definition, the best quarterback is just so is just so beyond his contribution has to be so beyond what a singular player could be on defense. And like I say that as a person that like believes that Miles Garrett and Michael Parsons and TJ Watt make a, have a huge impact on the game, but not but not the way that the whoever the best quarterback is, I just don't see see how that can be. So if it's not an analytics argument and I want to make that argument, I'm just going to say it's a, it's a toughness thing. You know, that's, it, yeah, that's I mean, it. That's all I say. It's a vibes thing for me. That's right. I mean, how could you hit how somebody? Could you? Hit somebody. <laughs> that's hit right. Hit somebody. 
Um, yeah. I'm still going to make the argument. It doesn't make any sense, but I'm just going to keep. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep keep going. Just charging at the quarterback. Um, all right, your third number. Okay, you kind of alluded to, to offensive performance being down, and and uh-huh. one of the things that this is sort of related to number two. One of the things that I find pretty interesting. There have been 633 sacks right now as we tape entering Sunday Night Football this mm-hmm. season. That's a 6.8% sack rate. That's like a 20, that's a 20 year high. 2005 was the last time we were ever at this place. And it took me a long time to like come up with some reasons why that is. Like at first you, I would sort of thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe this is related to like hold, uh, holding or, or something like that. But no, the holding rates are kind of, kind of down. There's a bunch of different factors. I see three reasons why this is, but I'm also putting this out there because I'm open to other ideas. I want to hear if you've got thoughts I'm curious. I think one is I saw Nate Tice mention this that we have a lot of young quarterbacks in the league, and, yeah. and that that makes a lot of sense. Young quarterback. Well, did, did, did he expand on that at all? Because I, I have know. a theory on this. So okay, I, 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 I'm going to spitball here. I have the first part of my theory I've talked about a lot. The second part I just made up over the weekend. Um, the first part is that I noticed this at Commanders practice, and I can't stop seeing it everywhere. Sam Howell holds on to the ball so damn long. And then I'm looking at all the other draft quarterbacks, and they do the same thing, and they all play the same style, and they all just sit back there. Zach Wilson on Sunday, Kayvon Thibodeau was bearing down on him on fourth down. He had guys. I mean, it wasn't like it was, he had guys, and they were, maybe they were short of the sticks or whatever, but he was just sitting back there like, I got all the time in the world. And it's like, buddy, you do not have any time. And I... I I feel like the guys who are like 24 and younger have no urgency to get rid of the football. And I'm wondering, this is, this is the part that I made up over the weekend. Is it possible? So the whole thing about modern sports is that the younger generation gets comfortable with the new rules. That was Dominic Foxworth saying about cornerbacks, how they understand how to play the game, right? Like golfers now play differently because they came up with the equipment where you can't really have any big misses anymore. Um, someone told me over the weekend or last week that apparently hockey, young hockey players play differently because the, of the graphite sticks. I don't know what the hell is going on with that, but it sounds correct. Okay. And it sounds like if I covered hockey, I'd be all over the graphite sticks change with the young players. Okay. All over that. So I had no idea. We bleep out the curses. I had no idea that whatever this theory was, was going to end in a curse word, but that's where I'm at right now with graphite sticks. Um, and I'm wondering, this is a the first generation of quarterbacks who do not get punished for being back there like the other quarterbacks did. If you were born in 1980 and you held the ball forever, you ended up like Derek, David Carr and just like in your third year being like, I no longer want to play football. And now you don't get hit. You don't get, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm glad. I mean, we saw the bad quarterbacks that you don't want quarterbacks getting knocked out, but like, you don't get the crap knocked out of you if you're a quarterback anymore and if you don't get rid of the ball. And I'm wondering if those guys are comfortable having the ball that long and processing all of that stuff. Because I mean, like some of this stuff is the spread and, and reading five guys. But then the other thing is like, you know, some of that stuff is just like you're, you count helmets and then you throw the ball. Like some of it's really one one read and go kind of stuff. So like I think that stuff evens out. I'm wondering if there there has to be something with the fact that this younger generation of quarterbacks cannot get rid of the damn ball. I really like that. 
I really like that. I think that the hits part is really interesting. You can combine with also, you're more likely to have a more mobile quarterback. And so maybe they end up yes. thinking that they can escape, right? Like Russell Wilson always thought he could escape. Uh, Until the day he could not. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and so maybe that's, but I like, I like your theory. Like I was going to approach it more from like a, I was thinking even more of like a randomness, like Sam Howell, him, he, he is one of the factors. Like he comes in, he doesn't, he just takes a million sacks and like that. I is couldn't believe it. I, I've said this before, but I was there. Stephen Ruiz and I were the day were there when I were there the day that Eric bien got heat for being too angry. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing Sam Howell pump fake at the goal line and like just pat the ball over and over again. And like, and it's like these guys have run every, all four receivers are running like a slant. And like they're they're now just like freelancing in the back of the end zone, and Howell's back there in a untimed down, just smacking the ball. And I wanted to blow, I wanted to get a whistle and blow it and start yelling at people. And me, I was like, "Oh, is Eric being me too tough on uh, on the offensive players?" I wanted to be too tough on the offensive players because Sam Howell wouldn't throw the damn ball. I'm, I don't mean to be tough on Sam Howell in particular because Jacoby Brissett was doing the same stuff. It was unbelievable. It was an epidemic. But anyway, it's I. I and it, you have other theories on why there's the well, sack rate. I just want to say, because I, I, I like yours. D- Trevor Lawrence is yeah. a counterexample because he is he has never had a good offensive line in the NFL. Right. And he is elite at sack avoidance despite that. That doesn't mean that, like, systematically you're not correct, though. He's just a, he's just really good at that. Uh, my other theory is pass blocking is a little worse. He's also a year older than the guys that I've uh, – I've in my imaginary theory have have I've set the line of demarcation. I this is a post field howl line. Post yeah, the howl line. line. Yeah, the howl line. That's what a year a year ago, uh, eighteen months ago, everything about the NFL changed, according to <laughs> Sam Howell. I like so, it. look into it. Also, uh, Mac Jones got rid of the ball really quickly, and then Cal Shanahan wanted to make him the third overall pick. True. So there you go. Um, he was the guy. That's why. That maybe that's the, the hidden theory of the of the of the, uh, the the Mac Jones thing is he found the one guy who actually would throw the ball because Zach Wilson certainly wouldn't. Um, all right, keep going. Okay, uh, pass blocking is a little worse. We've seen in our, okay. our metrics suggest that uh, every year it gets better as the season goes along. But like at this point in pal- all past years, it's been better. Um, and then this is a little qualitative, so I don't have like perfect numbers back and stuff, but I do think that stunt effectiveness is generally up in the NFL. Um, you see like more unblocked, uh, more plays with an unblocked rusher and a sack that's, that's up, uh, over the last few seasons. I, I think that is happening. So like when you talked about like, or we always talk about like cycles of these, of these things, and maybe that is one area where defense is is striking back a little bit. Again, it's a little bit qualitative. It's not like super hard hitting, uh, rock solid evidence that, that you brought on the, you know, the Howell theory, but. Uh. <laughs> I, uh, it's peer reviewed by, by yeah. Stephen Ruiz and, uh, and other people who were just standing around at commander's practice that day. Um, but I like what, yours. Uh, I think yours is yours is a good one. I actually I'm might serious. I might parade I might parade that around this week on a couple different I'm not even I don't think I'm booked on a podcast this week. I'm trying to think. But uh something will pop up. Usually <laughs> does. And then I'll, I'll I'll unleash that on some other pods. We'll get this pod going. This this is a nice listenership, and then we'll uh we'll just grow the whole thing. We're gonna make Sam Howell the 
the center of this scandal. This this nobody will throw the ball scandal. Nobody's get rid of the ball pilled in the in the NFL under age twenty three, whatever the hell it is. Um, hey, we were talking offline, and you said we were saying interesting stuff about what we're missing on the fourth down thing, and I want to get get you out of here on this. Um, I think that the fourth down thing is I'm of two minds on it. Like I think the, the math is settled. But I also think there's a whole lot of coaches who just don't care and are not going to care. And part of it is that I've talked to a lot of people within the analyst community about this. Like, however young you think some of these guys are, like, they still came into the league when, like, 1999, you know? And, like, they're still like, oh, I worked for John Fox or whomever, right? And so, like, it's actually going to take a long-ass time for the head coaches to actually be analytics-oriented, if they ever are. Because I'm not even sure, you know, I don't think that a hot young quarterbacks coach for whomever, even if they're 28 years old, I'm not sure they're well-versed in the data. The only thing that would actually work is if it was an analytics person became a GM and he hired a coach, almost like baseball, right? That's literally what happened in baseball, where the GMs were like, you were going to do this by the analytics, and the managers were like, yeah, okay. But I don't think that's going to happen because the coaching is so important. And also, like, not to go back to, like, the old, my, old, my old reliables, but, like, I, I, I've, I've come to realize that analytics is hugely important, but, like, there's a bunch of boring-ass stuff that's so much more important. Like... <laughs> Effort and execution, no way to quantify it, no way to talk about it. Pretty much all football. Pretty much all football. Ask Sean McVay. Like, even the play calling. Yeah, it's important. Not as important as effort and execution. No, no way to talk about that every single week. And also, you can't even, like, critique anybody's effort. Anyway, um, all of this to say is that the fourth down stuff, within, within um, sort of the once you're good, you need you need to go for it on fourth down. Um, I, I I think a average team can become much better if they get more aggressive. And I've I've talked to people and I agree with them who say that in 15, 20 years, we're gonna look back and just say, I can't believe teams were reflexively punting. Almost like the bunt, right? In baseball. I really do think we're gonna we're gonna get there. We haven't gotten there yet. And I just think it's a big old uh, mystery um like kind of when the tipping point is going to be. Having said that, you've done some research. I'm I'm intrigued to see where you think the what we're missing right now and kind of where the debate is now. I think that one one thing that you you did not say, but is often a, a counter, is like when when we throw up the win probability numbers, right? You know, a guy punted, he had a 55 percent chance to win. If they go for it, 52 percent chance. If they punt, what's the big deal? It's three percent, right? That's what, that's what people say, right? Well, what's the big deal? It's 3%. And three, three percentage points of win probability is kind of like the equivalent of like a first quarter sack. And again, I think you could say, well, okay, you know, we don't freak out about like a first quarter sack. Like it happens, you know, you're not, you're not definitely going to lose because you took a first quarter sack. And that's, that's true too. But it depends if you hold onto the ball too long. <laughs> right, right. This right. is Sam underlying it's problem. Yeah, it's an underlying problem. It's a, it's a, yeah. It's for Sam Howell, by the way, only took one sack today. We're burying him. It was the last play of the game. He did fumble. It did end the game. But there you go. <laughs> I will say, okay, so three percentage points, right? But we're not judging the play. We're judging the decision. And so when we say it's the equivalent of a first quarter sack, when you punt that ball, you are in essence, choosing a first quarter sack. If you Mm -hmm. 
offered a coach, would you like to start this game normally? Or would you like to start this game on second and 17? And <laughs> like, imagine if we go into Monday Night Football tomorrow and that was the choice. And Josh McDaniels is like, you know what? Second and 17. What would we say I, about I, that coach? I'd say that sounds like Josh. <laughs> well, I'm picking on him because he's maybe the worst game management coach in, in the league. But like, what would we say about that coach? And when you do that over and over and over again, it's like, is it is it as important as play calling? No. Like, I, no. Like, I mean, I think Kyle Shanahan's probably the best coach in the league, and he's not good at fourth downs. But, like, it's it's one very measurable part of a, of a coaching job. I agree with your point. Like, there's all this other stuff that we can't measure. But this is one part where we can. So I think it's – it's No, no. I, I am 100% with you on – the stupidity of going for it, of not of punting on fourth and one, fourth and two, and I think teams can go should should go for it on their own half all the time. Um, and it was funny because I made this point a couple of weeks ago with uh, with Staley when he went for it, and I, I'm not a huge Brandon Staley fan, and I don't even think he's Mister Analytics to begin with. But um, What's funny about that is he when he with the game against the Vikings, it was the right move to go for it, but then he doesn't get it, and then you like lose like the Fox Studio team, like you've lost Jimmy Johnson and Howie Long and stuff, and they're all like, ah, this guy's an idiot, right? Like they literally at one point, I believe one of those guys was like, what the hell is he doing in the Fox Studio? And so it's like you really can't win because you're not analytics enough for us but then you're way too analytics for like the mainstream media crew. And you kind of get in this weird no man's land where it really, the only option is to win games. You're never like, even if, even if it was just miss, even if it was freaking Aaron chats out there and just like absolutely just going by the going for, for two down eight, all of this stuff like over and over again, like you still have to, um, you're still not going to be champion that much and keep your job, but he's in a terrible no man's land right now where he turned his back on analytics. Now he's turning back towards analytics and no one's happy. Absolutely. Nobody's happy with Brandon Staley. That's true. He's Justin Herbert as his quarterback. I don't feel like that. Bad, oh God. You know, <laughs> I agree. Coach football, brother. Uh, Seth Walter, this was great. I really enjoy this. We'll have you back. Um, I've not spoiled the Formula One race for you. Your your son is going to be a Formula One car for Halloween on Tuesday. I look forward to the photos. My son was a football. Oh, that's good. Yeah, like well, he's young. He's an eight. He's a nine month old, and so it's like he's you know he's a fat baby. So I'm sitting around saying, what could he be? And the answer was a football. So did you throw a pass? I did not. I had him. I actually didn't do any sort of football adjacent stuff like the entire thing was uh, it's like he's got a little um it's a brown leather that's not even leather right and it's like it's just a little thing with the laces in front and then he's got a little hood that he probably usually takes off because it's too hot in, here in new york in, in october um and then everything else like honestly like every it barely looks like a football because everything else is it's like a small costume and so um that's that. But uh, I did not do anything. I didn't throw him. I didn't try to run with him. I didn't pretend he was a fumble and jump on him. I didn't do any of that stuff. Maybe next year. I think that's good. Yeah, next year. Um, all right, Seth Walter. We'll see you soon, buddy. See ya. See ya.